Submit to the Lord and entrust yourself to Him. You'll be so glad that you have. Second point, we must trust God when we cannot see Him at work. We must trust God when we cannot see Him at work. That's called faith. Faith is trusting or entrusting ourselves. Welcome to Saving Grace Church, located in Indiana, Pennsylvania. Our mission at Saving Grace Church is to love God, love others, and reach the world for Christ. We hope that this message brings you closer to God and helps strengthen your walk with Christ. To the Lord, when we, when we just can't see Him. We can't see Him at work. We, we might feel like He's left us or He's abandoned us, which He hasn't, but it can feel that way. We must trust God when we cannot see Him at work. Look at verse 8 of chapter 1. Now there arose a new king over Egypt who did not know Joseph. Remember, Joseph was number two in the whole land. And then he died. Then a new king came. And then the generations begin to clip by. And they don't know Joseph. They don't know Joseph's descendants. They don't, they don't have any affection or favor towards them. Verse 9, And he said to this people, Behold, the people of Israel are too many and too mighty for us. Come, let us deal shrewdly with them, let us, lest they multiply. And if war breaks out, they join our enemies and fight against us and escape from the land. So here's what's happening. As the years go by, the 70 people multiply into hundreds of thousands, possibly millions. And that's an evidence of God's faithfulness to, um, to his people. You know, remember in Genesis 1 and 2, we're to be fruitful and multiply. God's people are to be fruitful and multiply. And then in Genesis 12, God makes a, a covenant, a promise with Abraham and says, your descendants are going to be more numerous than the stars in the sky. And so the 70 people is, is starting to fulfill the beginnings of that covenant. And so though life was hard, they began to multiply. But the kings of Egypt, all they saw was a growing threat within their own land. And their concern was, this large growing group of people is eventually going to turn on us. They're going to go against us at some point. And so they were fearful. Now it's not just the Egyptians that fear people that are not like them, right? This is a sin, this fear is as old as the garden when Adam and Eve rebelled. We might know it as xenophobia, which just means fear of outsiders, fear of strangers. A dictionary definition would say that the term is most commonly applied to people who are afraid of immigrants or people from unfamiliar foreign cultures. That's a fear. That fear is the exact opposite of the call of the church of Jesus Christ in the mission of God. It's the exact opposite of what God's people should be called to. It's the exact opposite of how we should respond to people from every tribe, tongue, and nation. Remember what Jesus said, All authority in heaven and in earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and of the Holy Spirit 
teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. And so we're not to be afraid of those who aren't like us. We're to love them, and we're to introduce them to Jesus. I don't think it's a coincidence that in the book of Acts, Philip the evangelist shares the gospel with an Ethiopian eunuch, and he responds to the gospel from Isaiah 53, and Philip baptized him that very day. See, sadly, fear, fear of people who are not like us can lead us to do cruel things, to do evil things. This fear led the Egyptians to not only enslave the Israelites, but to be harsh in their treatment of them, to crank up the work. So if we know Jesus, if you've trusted in Jesus, we're to do what this mission says. We're to love God, love others, and reach the world, which includes everyone. Well, life got hard for the Israelites. Look at verse 11. Out of fear of this growing threat within Egypt. Therefore, they set taskmasters over them to afflict them with heavy burdens. They built for Pharaoh store cities, Python and Ramses. These were, these were actual cities that would store food and chariots and military equipment. But the more they were oppressed, the more they multiplied, and the more they spread abroad. See, God's people can't be stopped. And so as oppression came, as hardship came, as further enslavement came, God began to multiply his people all the more. And the Egyptians were in dread of the people of Israel. So they ruthlessly made the people of Israel work as slaves. It made their lives bitter with hard service and mortar and brick and all kinds of work in the field. And all their work, they ruthlessly made them work as slaves. Now we can read that and just go to the next section, but I want you to imagine if that's your life, day after day, month after month, year after year, decade after decade, under the cruelty of a taskmaster who has enslaved you to do their work. Remember, this is the people of God. These are the chosen people of God. And they would have known that. They would have had some remembrance of that. And they would have thought at some point, wow, this seems like the exact opposite of how God said it was going to be. This doesn't feel like the promised land. This doesn't feel like the land flowing with milk and honey. This doesn't feel like we've turned into a great nation. This feels like complete and total oppression, which it was. See, remember what God said to Abraham in Genesis 15. And Abraham said, Behold, you have given me no offspring, and a member of my house will be my heir. And behold, the word of the Lord came, This man shall not be your heir. Your heir shall come from your own son. He shall be your heir. And he brought him out, and he looked toward heaven, and number the stars. And if you are able to number them, then he said, so shall your offspring be. And he believed the Lord, and the Lord counted to him as righteousness. And so God promised Abraham that his seed would, would turn into this great nation, that there would be a land 
There would be a people. And instead, they're in the heat, in the desert, day after day, thirsty, tired, sore, broken, beaten down, maybe without hope at all. Now, some of them might have remembered that God actually told them this was going to happen. Look at Genesis 15. Then the Lord said to Abram, Know for certain that your offspring will be sojourners in a land that is not theirs and will be servants there, and they will be afflicted for 400 years. But I will bring judgment on the nations that they serve, and afterward they shall come out with great possessions. 400 years. The Bible says elsewhere is 430 years that they were enslaved in Egypt. I'm going to guess when you woke up today, you weren't thinking about the year 1590 and what the United States of America was like. Because it didn't exist yet. That's a long time. That's longer than our country has been a country. And yet God had not forgotten. God did not forget. See, we shouldn't, we need to not make the mistake of interpreting God through our circumstances, through our hardships. We don't know why these challenging things happen. We don't know why these prolonged things happen. But we, what we do know for certain is that God is good. God is absolutely in control. God is totally at work. And he is trustworthy. See, it's not just the Egyptians or the Israelites that had hardships. The Bible actually promises that we'll have hardships too. Listen to what Peter says in 1 Peter. Beloved, do not be surprised at the fire trial when it comes upon you to test you as something strange were happening to you. Don't don't be surprised. Here's what I wish. As a pastor, as a Christian, as a friend, I could just say to you, trust in Jesus, turn from your sins, and he'll, he'll forgive you and he'll adopt you, and then life will be smooth and easy and fun, and you won't have to worry about anything. I wish I could tell you that. I really wish I could tell you that. I could tell you that, but then I'd be lying to you, and then you're life at points is not going to match up with what I'm telling you, and then you're, you're going to be disillusioned and derailed. I think it's way more loving and, and better for our walk with the Lord to have an accurate, real understanding that, yes, Jesus did save us. Yes, we are his sons and daughters, but this world is broken, and it's messed up, and we're going to experience some of the brokenness of sin as we navigate through this world. We're going to experience the brokenness of natural disasters. We're going to experience the brokenness of failed health at times. We're going we're to experience all of those things of tragedy and sadness and sorrow. But as we do, keep your eyes on the only one who is trustworthy, and he will see you through. And he has not forgotten you. He is the great promise keeper of all of his promises. 
So even the best of us in this room or watching online, we'll make promises, and you really mean them, and maybe to your kids. You promised we could get ice cream today, but circumstance change, and it, it didn't just work out, and they don't understand, and they fall to the ground, and, um, or we fall to the ground, you know, depending on how much you like ice cream. But the point is, God perfectly keeps his promises. So he says over and over in the Bible to his people, I will never leave you or forsake you. That is a promise that he will never break. He will perfectly keep. So if you feel like he has left you or forsaken you, it's not true. It's not true. You are looking at your circumstances. You're not looking at him. You're not looking at his word. He is absolutely, completely trustworthy. See, even Joseph somehow knew before he died that there was going to be a period of suffering for God's people, and then he was going to rescue and deliver them. He says it in Genesis 50, and then it is repeated in Hebrews 11. So let's look at Genesis 50. And Joseph said to his brothers, I'm about to die. But God will visit you and bring you up out of this land that he swore to Abraham, to Isaac, and Jacob. See, Joseph knew that God was going to keep his covenant. He was going to keep his promise to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He was going to be faithful. He needed to trust him. And the book of Hebrews, in that great hall of faith where all these different people are commended for their faith, Joseph gets a nod, Hebrews eleven twenty two. By faith, at the end of his life, made mention of the exodus of the Israelites and gave direction concerning his bones. Like, we're going to leave, and when you guys leave, just grab my bones and take them to the promised land. He was thinking ahead. And he was doing it in faith. See, faith is, uh, is going to be a huge part of the book of Exodus. There's going to be moments as we go through Exodus where the only way God's people are going to be preserved is through God intervening in a miraculous way. It's the only way. When when we're going to see in a few weeks they're pinned against the Red Sea, they're either going to be devoured by the Egyptian soldiers or they're going to drown in the water. That, That was their two options in their mind as they looked at their circumstances. I don't think they thought of the third option, which happened. Oh, maybe the sea would just split in two. The ground would be dry, and we can walk across it, and then the sea will close and swallow up all the the chariots. No, only God can do that. Only God could think of that. See, faith, trusting in the Lord, is an active, vital ingredient of our Christian life. It's different than just taking a test. Is God good? Yes. Is God trustworthy? Yes. Is God totally in control? Yes. You can answer yes to all those things, but that doesn't mean you're actively trusting him when things go south in your life. It's an active thing that comes from cultivating your relationship with him. See, To follow Jesus in this world is is an adventure. It's exciting. There are going to be highs and lows. There's going to be incredible moments. And then there's going to be periods of time that are just really 
heart-wrenchingly difficult, and it feels like you're, you're walking in a cave, and you can't see anything. And it's in those moments that we, we call to the Lord in faith, and we follow Him in faith. We're going to see in a moment some really courageous women in the book of Exodus who are just filled with faith and courage and confidence in the Lord, which brings us to the third point. We must courageously fear the Lord above all other threats and fears. Part of living by faith is God is going to call us to step out in faith and do things for Him and take risks for Him and make stands for Him. And that's what's going to happen in verse 15 through 17. So the Israelites are still in Egypt. The cruel hand of the king is still just pressing down on them. And his, it, it, it's like his, his schemes are getting more and more wicked and evil and dark. So verse 15 happens. Then the king of Egypt said to the Hebrew midwives, those who were responsible to deliver the babies, one of them named was Shapira and the other Pua. Here's you need to know these two ladies. These ladies are heroes of the faith. Verse 16, here's what he told them to do. When you serve as a midwife to the Hebrew women and see them on the birth stool, so they're about to have their baby, if it is a son, here's what I want you to do. I want you to kill them immediately. But if it is a daughter, she shall live. So that, imagine. So this, this is coming from a king who, who has every power and authority to kill them. So they, they have death threats on them. And what they're called to do is end the life of every baby boy that is born. Because you all are getting too big. It's wicked. It's evil. These ladies are courageous. Look at verse 17. But the midwives feared God and did not do as the king of Egypt commanded them, but let the male children live. The midwives feared God. They had a confidence in God. They knew God was the maker of heaven and earth. They knew God was the one they were ultimately going to answer to and be accountable to. And God was the one who had their allegiance. And so whenever someone, in this case the king of Egypt, is commanding us to do something that is opposite that the king of heaven commands us to do, we always go with the king of heaven. Always. You always want to obey the Lord if human institutions or bosses or family members or friends are pressuring you to do things that you know are absolutely contrary to what God would have you do. These women were fearless. See, the king of Egypt President of the United States, the most wicked communist leader in the world, they're all going to come and go. And all of them are sustained by the living God. He sustains their heartbeat, their breath. He numbers their days. We don't have to fear any human ruler or institution. We want to be bold and courageous and humble and loving and obey and follow King Jesus. So as a Christian, 
There will be moments in your life where you're going to be at a crossroads. Could be in the workplace. Could be as a citizen of the United States. It could be in your own family situation where there could be intense or immense pressure to compromise your Christian faith and your conviction and the clarity of what the Bible calls you to do in a situation. Let me urge you, exhort you, encourage you to always follow the Lord in those situations. Do it humbly. Do it lovingly. But be like these ladies. Oh no, we we fear the Lord. I I know there might be consequences. But we're going to do the right thing here in this situation. You will never regret having a clear conscience before the Lord. You will never regret it. Never. You will always regret when you compromise your Christian convictions. And, you know, depending on the situation, there's wisdom of how to navigate those things. And as they come up as pastors, we'd love to help you kind of walk through that. But the big idea is we, we're going we're gonna to stand for the Lord. We're going to believe every word of this Bible, even as it becomes increasingly unpopular in the culture that we find ourselves in. We're not going to be arrogant. We're going to blast people, but we're going to take a stand. And we're going to do it because that is the most loving thing we can do for a lost and dying world, is be salt and light and share the hope for the broken world that we find ourselves in. There's a number of examples of this in the Bible. One of the clearest ones comes from Peter and John. Peter and John were told that you should not talk about Jesus anymore. You shouldn't preach anymore. And they decided to take a stand. They knew by taking a stand that more jail time could happen, more physical beatings could happen, and the reality of death could actually happen. Stephen had already, or maybe not yet, already been killed, but they knew um, the threat of persecution was on the horizon. Listen to what they say. This is in the book of Acts. So they called them and charged them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. Quit talking about Jesus was the the command. But Peter and John answered, whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than God, you must judge. For we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. I want to be really careful because Christians can can twist this and be like real arrogant about it. That's not the tone of this. The tone is we're going to be bold about Jesus because we're called as an expression of God's church to share the good news of Jesus and to share the whole counsel of God. To do it in a humble, loving, gentle, but firm and courageous way. And by the power of the Holy Spirit, as we do that, just like the Israelites were physically multiplied, we're going to see God grow His church and physically multiply it. More and more people will come to faith in Jesus as we take a bold stand for Him. So let's get back to the ladies. They're bold. They're they're taking a stand. King of Egypt finds out, wait a minute, there's all these baby boys that weren't supposed to be there. What happened? Look at verse 18. 
So the king of Egypt called the midwives. A little side note, you can't, can't read that without thinking of that show, Call the Midwives. I don't watch it, but if you do, you're probably thinking of it already. So the king of Egypt called the midwives and said to them, Why have you done this? And let the male tr- children live. The midwives said to Pharaoh, Because the Hebrew women are not like the Egyptian women, for they are vigorous and give birth before the midwives come to them. So saying, you know, just the, the Israelite ladies, they're just a lot tougher than the Egyptians, so the babies just come out real fast. That's, that's all they're saying. And the people multiply and grew very strong. Verse 20 says, so God dealt well with the midwives. So God, God commended them. Now, if we were taking a Christian ethics class, there'd be a lot of debate. Did, the, did these ladies lie? And if they lied, is it okay to lie in certain circumstances? We're not getting into any of that. Um, you get to figure that out for yourself. But what we know is the Lord dealt well with them. They feared him. And God used their, their bold choices for him. Some people don't think it is a lie. They think they were just telling the truth about that. Others uh, think it was a lie, but it was acceptable. You be a Berean like the book of Acts and figure that one out for yourself. I'm not sure. But I am sure, verse 20, so God dealt well with the midwives and the people multiplied and grew very strong and because the midwives feared God he gave them families he blessed them then Pharaoh commanded all his people every son that is born to the Hebrews you shall cast into the Nile but you shall let every daughter live he was relentless okay that's not working so let's try another way to to eliminate the growth of this people. Let's throw all the babies into the river and let them die. See, God was faithful, and we're going to see that one of the babies is going to be used by God some 80 years later to rescue God's people. But the, the point I want us to think about here before we get to the good news of a a mediator that's going to be born, is that we, we just at times are going to have to take hard stances for the Lord. It's going to happen in your workplace. It probably already has. It's going to happen in your, if you're in elementary school or middle school or high school, it might happen in the classroom if you're in college. It's definitely going to happen in certain classes depending on the material. If you've newly trusted in Jesus, it's going to happen. You're going to have to give up certain things and certain places and maybe certain people. Uh, last Thursday, I got to speak here in the building to the Federation of Christian Athletes meet in our building right now because of COVID. And so um, every Thursday, student athletes are in the building and I got to speak to them. And then they do a, a Q&A with all the, the speakers after the class or after the teaching every time. And one of the students, she raised her hand from the back, and I think she was a newer Christian, and she just, she just asked, now, when you became a Christian, did you have to give up all of your friends and the party lifestyle, and was that really hard? It was something of those lines. And my, my answer was, yes. Yes, I did. It was very difficult. Yes, I had to do it because I knew I couldn't straddle the fence. I couldn't live in both worlds anymore. I knew Jesus had actually saved me and called me to a different lifestyle. 
But it was hard. It was really hard. I lost all of my friends in a moment of weeks because Jesus called me to follow him. And I knew I didn't have any strength to live in both worlds. I couldn't do it. Now, over the years, God has brought some of those back into my life. But there will be crossroads in your life if you're going to bring honor and glory to the Lord where you have to respond like the midwives did. Imagine if they compromised. Imagine if they began to to do what he told them to do. Imagine how guilty they would feel. Imagine how much shame and guilt and sorrow and sadness would have been heaped upon them. There's nothing better than, than having a clean and clear conscience with the Lord. Now let me say this, that there are some of us in this room or watching that have done really bad things. Really bad things. And Jesus paid for all those really bad things. Jesus' blood cleanses us of all of those things. So if you've done those things, you run to Jesus, you call out to Jesus, He forgives you, He washes you, He scrubs you down, and then you obey Him and you follow Him. I don't know what I said before, but my wife just texted me. It's Fellowship of Christian Athletes, not Federation. (laughs) For the record. She's not even in this room. She's serving in Kitsko, so she's listening. (laughs) Thank you. Um, Final point. We can trust in the one who promises to rescue. We can Trust in the one who promises to rescue. We have one that promises to rescue. See, God did not forget the Israelites. And we're going to see next week that he, he specifically says he, he hears their cry. But before he ever even hears their cry, he's already begun a plan of rescue and redemption for them. Look at verse 1 now of chapter 2. Now a man from the house of Levi went and took as his wife a Levite woman. The woman conceived and bore a son. And when she saw he was a fine child, she hid him for three months. When she could no longer hide him, she took him in a basket made of bulrushes and put, whatever that word is in pitch, put tar on it basically. She put the child in it and placed it among the reeds on the river bank. And so who we have here is Moses' parents. They, they, they kept him back as long as they could. He got too big. We're going to build a little, little ark for him. We're going to put him in this water that could lead to his death. And we're going to let him go. Hebrews 11 says this about his parents. By faith, Moses, when he was born, was hidden for three months by his parents because they saw that the child was beautiful and they were not afraid of the king's edict. See the faith and courage and confidence once again. Now listen to what happens. Verse 4, And his sister stood at a distance to know what would be done to him. Now the daughter of Pharaoh came down to bathe in the river. And while her young women walked beside the river, she saw a basket in the reeds and sent her servant woman, and she took it. And when she opened it, she saw the child, and behold, the baby was crying. She took pity on him and said, This is one of the Hebrew children. Then his sister said to Pharaoh's daughter, Shall I go and call a nurse from the Hebrew women to nurse the child for you? 
And Pharaoh's daughter said to her, Go. So the girl went and called the child's mother. And Pharaoh's daughter said to her, Take this child away and nurse him for me, and I will give you your wages. So the woman took the child and nursed him. So what's happening here is baby Moses has been brought and picked up by the Egyptians. And he's going to be raised under Pharaoh and Pharaoh's household. If you don't think God is absolutely in control of every detail, then you're not getting what has happened here. God hears the cries of his people. God raises up a child. Right now, he's only three months old. Pharaoh's family spots him for whatever reason, has compassion on him and is going to bring them up in their household. But he's still young, so they call on a, a Jewish woman to nurse baby Moses, and it's his own mom. What a gift from God to his mom, knowing that she was going to have to let him go at some point, but got more time with him. Look at verse 10. When the child grew older, she brought him up in Pharaoh's, to, she brought him to Pharaoh's daughter, and he became her son. She named him Moses, because she said, I drew him out of the water. What we're going to see in next week and beyond is really Moses is like a secret agent that God placed in Egypt. He's going to be educated under the Egyptian way and cultures and books and language. He's going to be perfectly fitted to one day, about 80 years later, to lead God's people out of Egypt, to challenge Pharaoh as God's representative. And Moses, we're going to see this in a lot of different ways as we go through Exodus, he, he's a type of Christ. He's a, he's, a, he's a real person, but he's a type of the Messiah to come. He's a representation of what Jesus will be like. And we know that when Jesus came, one far greater than Moses walked on the earth. So God here in Exodus sends a deliverer, a rescuer by the name of Moses. One day, he's going to send his son Jesus, who's going to rescue and deliver the entire human race, any and all who would turn from their sins and trust in him. He's going to offer salvation to any and all. See, God is the great deliverer. He's the great promise keeper. And since God is this great promise keeper, you can trust him. Maybe you're just starting out. Maybe you just called out to Jesus and you're wondering, you're, you're shaky. Can I trust him? You can absolutely trust him. Maybe you've been walking with him for a really long time, but things are just getting really hard to see and cloudy. Can I, can I still trust him? You can absolutely trust him. Maybe you're near the end of your life. And as John Bunyan writes in Pilgrim's Progress, as they're about to cross over into eternity, and they're, they're in deep water, and they're, it's cold, and it's dark, and it's hard to see, and they don't know if they're going to make it. And then they safely get to the other side. Jesus will make sure that every single one of his children makes it to the ultimate promised land. We will be in eternity with God forever. You can trust him. Let's pray. If you wouldn't mind standing, I'm going to pray and the band can come up. Father, thank you that you are faithful.
that you are trustworthy, that we can cast all our burdens and cares upon you, that we can take you at your word, and you will fulfill it every time. Lord, we thank you that you are loving. We thank you that you did raise up Moses to lead your people out of Egypt, but you sent one that was far greater than Moses, your son Jesus, to live a perfect life and die on the cross for our sins. And we thank you that when we look to him, we trust in him, we have salvation forever. We, we pray that that would fill us with joy today. Lord, we love you and we ask all this in your name. Amen.